Okay, so now as we're looking here at uh, this book of 1 Thessalonians, all right, it's always important to keep in mind that Paul's writing this book, or really this letter, uh, to give these believers encouragement in Jesus, to, to keep going in Jesus. They, you know, they were living in a very hostile world at the time, very hostile place that was directly opposed to their new faith in the Lord. For these Thessalonians were being changed by the freeing gospel message of the grace of God. And the world was making them pay for it, was making them suffer for it, and feel like absolute fools and morons for believing it. It's true. See, the world does not want us to live in this freedom of the grace of God in our lives. Realize, you who believe in Jesus Christ, you trust in Jesus Trusting in Christ by faith alone, the world that you wake up to every day does not want you to wake up falling into trusting in the absolute truth that you are completely free because of what Jesus has done for you. This world does its absolute best to make you forget that you are a free, piece, a free, a free person now, whether you win or fail. And they don't want you to live as a free person. See, the world wants you to wake up every day feeling that you're trapped. This is it. This is the end. To, oh, to feel like you're burdened, like with a burden that you can't move on. And to ultimately think that you are alone, you are isolated, that, it's, that you are alone in this world. That Jesus has done nothing for you other than maybe provide some nice sayings. Or maybe has given you some good advice in some of the moments of your life through that gospel message. Or to put it bluntly, the world wants to keep your mind away from the absolute radical change that has happened to you all by faith in Christ. That you are no longer just like everyone else. But rather, you have been called, you have been elevated, you have been brought forward into something so much more now that you are in Christ. Your life now has this extraordinary direction. It has an, an amazing purpose. It has this absolute phenomenal goal that no matter where you are in life or who you are in life, your lives now, our lives as believers, are now part of something so much bigger than what this world can ever reveal to you or give to you. And it doesn't want you to realize that. It wants you to look around and say, well, this is it. Because here's the thing. When you start to realize that, and be more aware of this amazing privilege and calling and status that you now have, the more of the gospel impact you will have on those around you. Just like these Thessalonians were having. And that the world was trying to stop them from doing. So we're going to look at our text. Verse 1, and really we're going to finish it. That's why it has the B in there. We're just finishing that, that first part of this verse. So our title today is The Encouragement of the Gospel. Paul, right here from the beginning, right, of this letter is encouraging them all to continue more in their faith 
even with all the hostility they're facing because of it. Paul says at the latter part of this verse 1, because we already got through the names, he says, To the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now, that may seem like a simple greeting. Whenever we hear the words, to the church of the Thessalonians, it seems simple enough, right? But nope. Paul is not flippant with his words, but is being very thought out and thoughtful and meaningful in what he's writing here. For remember, this, new, this is a new group of believers, right? They haven't been around for a very long time. But from what we'll see here, Paul wants to reveal that even though they are new or newbies, greenhorns, whatever you want to call it, they have been brought into something that has been around for a very long time. And this brings us to our first point. You are God's people. Now notice here, Paul doesn't say in this greeting, to the saints, like he does in his other letters, but says to the church. Now, real quick, are these people saints? Yes, all believers are saints. You who are in this room or watching online, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. I know you've been called a lot of things in your life, but we're going to call you a saint, okay? You are considered holy right now, not because of what you have done, or what, uh, but, but simply because what has been done for you by faith in Christ. I mean, that's freeing just right off the bat, right? To know that even though you mess up, you sin, you fumble, you bumble, and, and you struggle with sins, that you're always considered a saint of the Most High. I mean, we're truly free in the Lord by faith alone. But, but again, that for now, in our text, Paul, doesn't, Paul is not wanting to encourage that aspect with these people. He wants to encourage them with this word church. The term church here, generally in our modern age, we typically understand that as a building, right? These four walls that we're sitting in, we say things like, I'm going to church this Sunday. Or most of the time, hurry up, guys, we're going to be late for church again. But that's not what Paul is evoking here when he's writing the term church. He's not referring to a building. The term church in this context really has deep theological weight with Paul and really just in the Bible in regards to these new believers. For the term church, the Greek word there, okay, just follow me here. The Greek word there, if you were just to look it up, has this general secular definition that just means assembly or gathering. But when Paul is using it, he's taking that in his, in his letters, and specifically in this letter, it's meant to have a deep, uplifting impact upon the readers in the face of all their trials. How so, you may ask? Well, put it this way. Paul is saying that these believers were or these people were now part of the greater assembly of the universal church. Universal meaning all people who follow after Christ. For he says the church in Thessalonica, the church in Thessalonica, which means it's a local manifestation of this universal church. And this universal church, which they are now in, 
means it's, in, it's believers. So all the believers or people back in the Old Testament who trusted, it includes those people who also trusted in, in God for Messiah back in the Old Testament here. And it's like, and it gets way technical here, but understand this. That word, the word in the Greek church, Paul uses here, it's the equivalent word to the Hebrew, the Old Testament, the way it was written, that was the language, used to describe the people of God. Or in the Old Testament, the assembly of God's people. It's the Greek word, it's assembly and church, kind of one and the same thing, at least for Paul. For example, you'll see it in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse, verse 10. And the Lord gave me two tablets of stone, this is the Old Testament here, two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words that God has spoken to, uh, had spoken with you on the mountain in the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly referring to when the Hebrews were waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain. They're called the assembly, the church, the Greek equivalent, God's people. So the main idea here is that Paul is telling these new converts, who are mostly of Gentile descent, not Hebrews, nothing to do with Jews for the most part. They were there, but for the most part just Gentiles. He was saying that they are now the one people of God whose heritage goes all the way back to the Old Testament by their faith in Christ. It's because of Christ. Not because of them, but because of Christ. They're brought into something more. That even though these people, the Thessalonians, were gathering in Thessalonica, they are part of this greater manifestation of God's people. That they are now on this wondrous path of continuing of a continuing of God's people in the world. In the world, and they're being enabled to live out God's great mission in the world. They, along with all the other believers at other places at that same time, they are now continuing this grand plan of redemption that was set way back in the Old Testament. For they have been called out to serve and to worship the true God in their new faith, all by faith in Christ. See, by saying church, with all this theological background from the Old Testament, Paul, in essence, is saying just like God used his people in the Old Testament to glorify his name, to do his great bidding in the dark world under the Old covenant. God is now doing the same with them through their faith in Christ in this new covenant which was established in His blood, in Jesus' blood. For they had been removed from the world of darkness and death and brought into this great assembly, the church of true light and life. For there has always been one assembly or the church of God, in some sense. For what started as a smaller group of people in the Old Testament has now been expanded to all people who place their faith in Christ, just like you and me. And we are now, just like these Thessalonian believers, who were just parents, just grandparents, just a sister, a brother, just a kid, or a single 
They, as with us, have been granted the privilege of a higher estate of living in this fallen world. For they, as with us, we live for God now. We get to say we are God's people. We are His people who gather locally or assemble locally as His manifestation of this great universal church which, is from all, which has all believers from past who are in the heavens now and in the present who are meeting all over the world. We are in that great church and we get to gather and manifest in this place here to praise and learn and encourage each other in the gospel, in our Lord. It's a good day. And this gospel is good news. For we have been brought into God's universal church, which includes all peoples from all nations and ethnicities, which we get to manifest here on Sunday mornings. So we are no longer a common people with common goals and common outlooks on life. No, we, just like these Thessalonians, now have been established as the eternal people of the Lord. You get that? You Eternal. Who will live forever and ever. Though our mortal bodies pass away. Some of you are like, praise the Lord, I want to get rid of this thing. <laughs> we will not. You will not pass away. We will continue to live on with Him in heaven with all the other believers who are already there. The church. Our goals have now become eternal goals that are set and established in the Lord. We live for His will to be done, for His kingdom to come as, on earth as it, is on, as it is in heaven with everything in our life now. Our outlook, our outlook on life. Okay, when you, you're out there and you're viewing life, when you get up and you're like, okay, this is another day in life. Our outlook on life is now one with eternity always in view. We get to see and live our life as one that will not end. When you die, you don't stop living. Your body dies, but you keep going. That's a, that's a mind change. That's radical compared to what this world is. They think death is the end. Not for us. I'm going on. You're going on. And if you don't like me now, guess what? If you're a believer, you're going to see me up there. Some of you are like, well, I don't know. No, I'm just... <laughs> Anyways. I mean, it's a wonder to being part of this universal church of the Lord. To know that we are his people, his church, his greater assembly who meets on Sundays. I mean, this is a good thing. This is a wonderful thing. The gospel's great news. To know that everything about you and me is no longer centered in or created in and of ourselves for anything, because guess what? Everything that you try to accomplish on your own will just die with you. Everything that you're investing in, you're like, I gotta do this and I gotta do this, and we gotta make sure you gotta. Guess what? If it's not for Jesus, it's gone, it's dead. When you're dead, no one else cares. But we have been freed from those stressful and vain filled thoughts and ways. 
Because now everything that we are called to do and are to do and to live will always be for eternity. For we are the church or the assembly of God. When we, when we live by faith and do all things from faith, it lasts for eternity. For everything we do by faith in Christ has true meaning. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be as menial, whatever you think. It doesn't matter. We're not saying just going out and being a, ma- a missionary. That's not the only way that has meaning. Everything you do has meaning. When you brush your teeth for the glory of the Lord, it has meaning. Because you're being a good steward. You're like, Lord, thank you for these teeth. One day they may be gone. And it's going to be harder to eat without my teeth. But Lord, you have blessed me with teeth. I know it sounds silly, but it's true. When when we live by faith and live by faith, we have true progression. There's true change that happens. Even if we don't see it, we know it's happening. There's true enhancement to the world around us. Even if we don't see it, we know it's happening. All because we are God's people. And His will, His sovereign, righteous way will come about our life. For we are His and we are free in Him now. That's what Paul's trying to encourage these Thessalonians with. See, no matter what struggles or what issues or what circumstances or what sins you are facing right now that maybe you don't even want to talk about or admit, no matter what, we will always be God's people. We will always be His church. So even if and when the world of people, more like when, The world of people harshly rejects us and mocks us for placing our faith in Christ. Or worse, when they begin to pull away from us and abandon us because of our hypocrisy. Because of our failures in living out the Christian faith. I'm guilty of that. The the, despite all of that, and then pointing out our faults and failures and sins, we can be confident and rest assured that even still we are God's church by faith alone in Christ. The gospel's good news. Because here, Paul continues and says, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this brings us to our second and last point. You were created by God's power. See, the the big important word here that Paul uses in regards to the church is the word in. For everything about the Thessalonians in their creation of being made the church of God did not come from within, but it came from God himself through Jesus Christ. The word in means both God the Father and Jesus Christ did this to them. So think of it this way. The the way these people came to be the church of God or God's people was not by Paul, Silvanus, or Timothy. Though they brought them the gospel message, they in themselves did not create the Thessalonian church. The power to create a new life, the power to create people to become believers, to free them from the power of sin and death, does not come from you and me but comes from God himself through the message of the gospel that is delivered. Never doubt that. 
I don't know what to say. Just give them the gospel. They'll, they'll reject it. Who cares? The power is not from you. The power is not into your in intellect. The power is not in your convincing words. The power is not even in your life. The power is in the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. See, God is the one who builds his church, not your arguments. Men and women do not build his church. Men and women do not have the power to change hearts to change lives in any true meaningful way, to have someone know Christ and be freed from the power of sin and death. For we are only the broken tools that God uses by his own divine sovereign initiative to bring his message to the fallen world, to bring life, to bring hope, to bring forgiveness, to bring salvation by this gospel message of his son, Jesus Christ. And not only that, wait, there's more. Even after we have been brought into his church by him creating us and them anew, men, men and women do not maintain the church as if God then says, okay, I'm out. You're in the door. I'm going to go next door and see what I can do there. No, God is the one who maintains it. He does not leave us, but rather he continues to build, to bless and mold his church, us, through his gospel message of his son. God is the source of all of us. God is the source and power of the church and its ongoing life in a world full of sin. See, Paul is saying we live in the Lord now all by faith in Christ. We are in him. We are unified with him so deeply that it can never be broken. For we are in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was revealing to, to them, he was revealing to us, that the church, because it is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, it is always being directed, always being maintained, always being strengthened by God. And God will remain faithful to his church even if we are not faithful to him. He will never let us go. He will never stop pursuing us. He will always bring us closer to him. For we are also, as Paul says, in the Lord Jesus Christ, looking at that here. Paul here is really emphasizing this concept of being fully created and maintained by God alone and not by men. We are what we are and stay what we are, the church not by what we do, but by what has been done for us through faith alone. So Paul is saying that they, as with us, we can be confident in identifying as God's people, no matter what's going on in our life or what struggles we are having or hardships or even persecutions that are coming about because of our faith in Christ. And it's significant then that Paul describes our Savior as the, 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 the Lord Jesus Christ. Those three terms reveal that Jesus, in whom they and we have our faith in, is the one who established such a promise over us in being fully created as God's people. Christ did it all for us by faith in him, and he maintains it all for us by faith in him. So when we look at those three words, starting with the word Lord, the Greek the word there, Lord, without getting technical again, the word Lord here is the same name in the Hebrew in the Old Testament as Yahweh. 
that is used of God in the Old Testament. This reveals that Christ is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, fully divine. He is Lord over everything. He is God. So He has all authority to do what He wills, and what He does cannot be undone. That means you. And the second word is Jesus. That's His name. It's his human name. When he became incarnate and took on human nature and he came into this world as a real human being who was truly divine but also truly human. He is a real person who who we have put our faith in, who knows our weaknesses. He knows what it's like to be a frail human in a world full of suffering and temptation. He understands you. Then Paul adds this term, Christ which, by the way, is not the last name of Jesus. Christ means a title. It's a title that means Messiah or anointed one, meaning that he is the one and only to fulfill the purpose of God in saving his people from their sins, to bring them to God by his sacrifice for them, which was made upon the cross. For we could never make it on our own, but Christ did in our place by faith, and he is our Messiah our Christ. So by saying, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul is encouraging them and reminding us that the Christian church or the community, the Christian community, you and me, are brought into existence solely by God alone through faith in Christ and that it will stay and be maintained the exact same way. It can never be undone. Faith alone. Now you may think, okay, well, what does that mean for me? Great. Well, this whole thing of God making and maintaining the church means this, that since you belong to him now, we have been freed from the worry of our future and the worry of our current situations of life. For we are in God, so since we are in God through faith in Jesus, whatever happens to us has to go through the Lord. For he is managing us, he built us, he has made us, he is molding us. So whatever, uh, so whatever comes our way, because we have seen what was done upon the cross, we know that he loves us and will always take care of us, no matter what happens. You can be at rest. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know for those who love God, all things work together for the good. That's all things, by the way. For those who are called according to his purpose. See, we are freed from self-reliance from everything in this life. Life is not dependent upon us or you anymore to make it. Rather, we are just to follow our Lord and let him lead us in all things by faith alone. We don't have to to handle things on our own. We don't have to carry the burdens on our own. We can go to him and know for a fact that he is and will work out everything in our good in him. Even if that means pain in our life. Because pain then, because all things work for the good, the pain is there to draw us closer to him and separate us from the world. So that we find our comfort in his blessing of grace and mercy and love rather than in the vain comfort of the world of death and sin. For Christ died for his church. He died for his assembly to bring us as as his assembly. And what Christ has accomplished upon the cross cannot be undone by, by, by us or anything else. For even if we fail in this life according to this world, or just keep moving and struggling from one sin to the next, 
We can be confident in the Lord's work over us because it is by faith alone that we are now created anew as the people of God. We are his people. We are his church because of what Christ has done and not by what we do. And Paul then presses this all the more by saying grace to you and peace. We're coming to the end. And once more, Paul is very careful with these words, with these people who are struggling through hardships because of their faith. Notice Paul says, first grace to you, then peace. That word order is important because Paul is summarizing the whole gospel message here in just these few short words as an encouragement to these Thessalonians to continue in their faith in Jesus. The word grace encapsulates all the saving work of Christ and the continual interaction that God has with his people all through this faith in Christ. Grace, the unmerited favor and blessing of being brought into his family as his adopted children and loved by him. For they, as with us, only deserve and earn God's wrath because of our sins. But God, out of his gracious love for sinners, sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, to save us forever. No matter our faults, no matter our failures in this life. By his grace, Jesus has freed us from the power of sin and death. Grace here says no matter if you struggle with lust, pride, anger, worry, doubt, envy, jealousy, anxiety, unforgiveness, whatever, fear. Paul says grace to you even more. Even more. For grace means that God does not deal with us in regards to our merit before him. For the only thing we can merit before God is his wrath and his anger. But because of Jesus, that has been removed. And he only deals with us according to his grace. And because of this grace then, when you think about like, oh, Paul then remind, which what Paul is reminding him of, the result is that we now have peace with God. Peace is the result of God's grace towards us. So the peace that Paul is speaking of is not an absent of conflict in this world. I mean, these Thessalonians were having tons of conflict and suffering because of the world around them. But the peace means having a wholeness before God. We are considered whole, reconciled, fully restored by faith in Christ now. So Paul here, even with just these two words of grace and peace, is telling them and us to rest in the finished works of Christ on our behalf and to know that no matter what comes our way, we are the Lord's people. No matter what the world tells us or how hard we fall, we have God's grace upon us. We are at peace with God and we are his people by faith in Christ alone. God is the one who made us. He made you. He's the one that is keeping us. He's keeping you. And the cross is the proof that such, of such love and grace. And the cross is our motivation to keep living then all the more by faith. And as we encourage one another with the gospel and tell others of the gospel to tell the people who don't know about this amazing grace, which that, what these Thessalonians will see are doing. So even though this world may come against us hard and point out our inconsistencies, our hypocrisies and failures, we by faith stand upon and declare the grace of God. For we are his church by faith in Christ. For he has won for us and his grace is greater than our sin. And in that we can take peace. Amen? All right, I'm going to call forward the deacons. They can come and you can pray with them. You can pray where you're at. Pray wherever you want. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today. Lord, I 
God, it's encouraging for me to hear, and I pray it's encouraging for all of us to hear that we are your church. Simply by faith, you have brought us in to something more. You have set our goals to something more. We are no longer considered common before you, but we are considered your children, kingdom kids, as my grandmother would say. God, it, we are yours. And God, that is so freeing. Lord, I pray that if people are struggling and having a hard time in life, that you're, if, you're, if they're having issues and not knowing what's going on, Lord, I pray that they are just reminded that they are yours. And guess what? Remind us, Lord, that in the end, it's all going to be okay because our end is with you. It doesn't matter. If we go right now, we're going with you. If we die right now, we're going with you. Remind us of that. Lord, if there's sins that we're struggling with and we just can't bear it any longer, remind us that we have been forgiven. And that you loved us, Lord, before we had any love for you. You love sinners, and you're saving sinners such as us. Remind us of that. And Lord, if someone doesn't know you here today, I pray that today they give their life to you and say, I want to follow this Jesus to save me. Lord, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your love. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.